You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here and to share the word of the Lord with you. Uh, me and Jeff go way back to Covenant Seminary back in the 90s. And, uh, and so it's a privilege to, to be here and to be with you all this morning. I think uh, Michelle uh, stole, or Melissa, she basically gave you the, the same sermon I'm going to give you, right? And uh, that, was, that was wonderful. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 13, or you can look up uh, on the screen, Matthew 13, 44 to 46, and we'll read that here in a second. Fen Forrest is a high-value antiquity dealer who in 2010, he had this brilliant idea. He put together a treasure chest, 10 by 10 inches by 5 inches, and he filled it inside with gold nuggets, some of the things the kid said, uh, antique gold coins, medallions, carvings, gold carvings, rubies, and other precious stones, and he hid it in the Rocky Mountains, somewhere in between Santa Fe, New Mexico, to the Canadian border, in an unknown location. Only he knew. The value at the time was over $2 million. He then wrote a seven-stanza riddle, and he put it out there on the internet to encourage treasure hunters to go find this jackpot. Why? He said he wanted to get the next generation off their couches, away from their screens, and out into God's great creation. It's been 10 years, this was 2010, and the treasure is still hidden. So you might want to plan a family vacation <laughs> and go out there and, and attempt. It's believed that over 80,000 people have been on a search to find the buried treasure. Two people have died in the process, and one in 2017 was actually a minister from Santa Fe, New Mexico that died. Wow. Well, this morning we're looking at two little parables that deal with this idea of buried treasure, or a pearl of great price. They speak of the kingdom of heaven. They speak of longing. They speak of desire. They speak of direction. And they ultimately, they tell us that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is the most valuable tre treasure we could ever have. Something that you would give everything away in order just to have that. So we're still somewhat in the beginning of the new year, right? It's February already. But it's a time as well where we can evaluate and think about our lives and think about what do we ultimately treasure? What do ultimately we value more than anything? Is it our relationship with the Lord? These eternal things? Or is it something else? You know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, right? But really, every day for the Christian is a day for a resolution. It's a day to say, today... I'm going to live my life for Jesus. Today I'm going to forsake this besetting sin, this sin that just keeps pounding me, and to serve the Lord Jesus and to repent and believe again. Really, every day is a day for a resolution. 
to, to see if our hearts are on this true treasure of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. So is that you today? Is that you today? So if you have your Bibles, let's read this passage quickly. Matthew 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This ends a reading of God's word. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time to worship you, to confess our faith, to receive members, to uh, confess our sins to you, to praise you, to hear your word. We pray for your spirit to be with us, to encourage us, change us, grow us, show us yourself. And we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the background here is that Jesus has been talking about parables. In fact, he gave many, many parables, over 30 parables in the New Testament. And he's been talking about eight little vignettes here about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And ultimately, parables are um, analogies. Some, some have called them allegories, where Jesus is asking us ultimately to respond. There's stories, you know, ultimately Jesus was a great storyteller. I think we all love movies, right? The Oscars are tonight, right? We like to enter in. And Jesus told these stories so that you and I and those hearing these parables would enter in and identify, and they ultimately call us to faith. They ultimately are telling us about Jesus, and they're calling us to faith and repentance. So he's doing that here in this parable. And I see basic three things in this parable, surprise, three things, uh, that this parable is asking us. The first thing is, what is it? What is the kingdom of heaven? What it takes to gain it, and what it brings. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So the first thing is this, what is it? What is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says it's like treasure, or it's like fine pearls that are hidden in a field. Ultimately, what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is something of ultimate value. What is a kingdom? There's, there's some, you know, I feel like in the New Testament, that's somewhat of a nebulous term. We hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What exactly is that? Well, think about a kingdom, right? Well, at Disney, in Disney World, that's the magic kingdom, right? And who reigns there? Well, Mickey Mouse reigns there. Well, the kingdom of God is where Jesus reigns. It's the place where he is seated on his throne, and his will is what reigns in the land. And so it's the realm where Jesus reigns supreme, isn't it? We see that in the New Testament, Jesus is called the center of, of the kingdom. In fact, when he arrives and he preaches his first sermon, he says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the king himself, Jesus Christ, is at hand. He is here. And he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and asking people to believe and to repent. 
Jesus is literally claiming to be the king of heaven and earth. Elsewhere, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. And what he was talking about is that I, Jesus, am here within your midst. Believe, repent, follow me. Ultimately, Jesus has the right to do this because he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and of the world. In John chapter 1, Jesus, John writes that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And later on it says, the Word became flesh and dwells among us, tabernacled among us. What is that Word? The Word is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the beginning, who created all things visible and invisible, the God who is the creator and the sovereign one. And this is the God that we worship. And Jesus is now here and he's saying, I am here. I am the most treasured possession you could ever have. In fact, Paul talks about the preeminence of Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read verses 15 to 19 in Colossians where Paul is talking about just the ultimate value of the Lord Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says this, In Jesus, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is highlighting this fact that Jesus is the center of the kingdom. He is the one who is the most worthy and valuable thing that we could worship. In fact, that's why the whole Bible is going to uh, a point of worship, isn't it? In Revelation, what we have is we have everyone bowed down around the throne worshiping the lamb in revelation 5 it says then i looked and i heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and might forever and ever Where is all of creation going to? We're all going to this great feast and party and worship in heaven to give the Lord Jesus the praise and glory and honor he desires. Question is, do we do that now? Do we see Jesus as the most valuable thing, the pearl of great price that we would do anything to have, the buried treasure in the field that we would sell everything just to have, or are other things vying for our attention? It reminds me of the, uh, the Magi who 
went on that search for the baby Jesus. Remember, they saw his star appear in heaven. And, uh, you know, when we, when we do our little manger scenes at home, typically we have the, the wise men right there, the magi are right there beside the, the manger, aren't they? Typically that's what happens. They actually should be out in the garage because it took them two years to find Jesus. In the Gospels it says when they approached the house and they saw Jesus with his mother, then they gave their gifts. But, you know, they are an interesting, interesting picture of faith and what it means to leave all and go, right? They saw this promise in the sky and they had the Old Testament scriptures and they knew that there was going to be a king. And so they left everything and they packed their bags and it took them months and months across the desert to find the baby Jesus. And they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh and they give it to him because he is worthy of that. On the other hand, if you remember that story, Herod and all the religious people that were right there beside Bethlehem, they didn't even go the few miles to Bethlehem to see if the prophecy was true. They didn't go. They didn't search for that buried treasure, so to speak, because they were satisfied with their life. What do you value? Do you know that Jesus is the most valuable of all? The second thing, not only what is it, it's the, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the King of the kingdom. But what does it take to gain the kingdom? What does it take to really find Jesus and know him? this pearl of great price, this buried treasure. Well, it takes, somewhat like the Magi, it takes risk, it takes pursuit, it takes going to great lengths to get it. And so what we see in the parable is that the, the first man, um, when he saw, when he found the treasure in the field, he sold all that he had to buy that field. And likewise in the the, the pearl of great price, again, this seeker sold all that he had to buy it. There's a picture here of knowing that you have found the most important, wonderful thing that you could ever found and going to great lengths to get rid of everything that you have to find that. It reminds me of the rich young ruler. Remember, he came to Jesus saying, well, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus begins to talk to him about the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I've, I've, I've kept all those since I was a young child. And then Jesus said, well, you still lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor. Then come and follow me. And it says that the man went away sad. That he counted the cost of following and finding Jesus and he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave everything that he had to find Jesus. What is Jesus showing us here in this parable? And in that parable, and in that story, it's really what does repentance look like? What does faith truly look like? In order to find Jesus, it talk, we, we have to have repentance and faith, is what the Bible talks about. And so we, part of that is this picture of leaving our old life leaving the things that we most value that are false idols in our life and turning and following Jesus and, and going 
with our focus towards Him. In Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When Jesus calls the disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, we see this picture of them leaving their nets and following Him. How could they do that? How could they leave their old life? Well, they saw that Jesus was so much more valuable. They saw that Jesus could provide the fish that they were fishing for. They saw that Jesus could take care of them and He would provide for them. And so they left it all and they trusted Him. And that's really what coming to know Jesus is. It's saying, Lord, I've been living independent of You. I've been doing my own thing. I've been serving the idols of, of money. Serving the idols of power. Of, of success. I work with students of GPA and, and, uh, and which are good things, right? But we make them ultimate things. That's what idolatry is. We take something good of the creation, whether it's sex, money, or power, or an excellent GPA, but we make that such a huge thing in our life that it controls us and it ultimately destroys us when we give that much power to it in our life. And Jesus is saying, come away, come away and take my yoke upon you. I am easy. I will bless your, your heart. I will give you that rest. And so it means repentance and faith, leaving what you most treasure in order to follow Jesus. So have you thought about maybe what are your false treasures that you're going after? Maybe the fool's gold that you're looking after. I had a student who worked in the physics department over the January break. Really intelligent kid. Works for APL. And he's still in school, right? And he found a, what he thought was a diamond on the sidewalk. And in the physics lab, they had testing equipment to see if that truly was a diamond. It had fallen out of a ring. It was, you know, there on the ground. It had, you know... It indicated that this looks real. This looks real. Well, after he did the test, cubic zir zirconium. False. Fool's gold, right? Fool's diamond. You know, what about you? What about me? What are those things in our life that we are treasuring above Jesus? Today is a day to say, I want to repent of those. I want to turn towards Jesus. I want to leave those things and go find Jesus. What are those things? You know, our hearts, uh, the scriptures say, are uh, broken. Um, they're like a compass that's off, right? They're supposed to point to the north, and instead they're going this way and that way, and they're seeking all these false norths. And only Jesus can change our hearts. Calvin said that our hearts are like idol factories, right? They're constantly seeking and going after things. And when we get them, we find out they're actually fool's gold. And sometimes it takes a while for that to happen, but then we see that, man, this, this thing is really controlling me. This thing is an addiction for me. This thing is destroying me and putting me in bondage because it's not Jesus. John Stott said that our hearts are like a vacuum that only God 
can fill. Only Jesus can fill. Father Augustine, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their true rest in you, the Lord. Our hearts are off. What can change our heart? Well, only Jesus can do that. And so, have you considered your heart? Have you considered your idols? What are they doing to you? We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And maybe these men saw that their treasure hunting was destroying them. And they could, all the other possessions they had, it didn't matter. They just had that one thing. And Jesus is saying, take me as your one thing. Take me. I am the preeminent God who created you and knows you. And you will be, you will be, you will find yourself as you leave these other idols and you find me. You'll find yourself. You'll be more fully human, more fully alive, more understanding of who you are and who other people are. You'll be able to help them also address their idols and their false loves and to be replaced with the Lord Jesus and the goodness of who he is. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and in, in, you know, that, that story is really a story about ultimate longing and ultimate treasure. You know, the, the ring, the one ring that rules them all, right? That they were all after. And, and we have uh, Smeagol or Gollum, right? That creature who we find out he actually kills his brother to get that ring when they were fishing. He strangles him, he kills him because that power of the ring uh, he wanted so bad. And then what is he? He loses the ring, right? And he just longs for it. And he's running around underground and in caves saying, my precious, my precious. And he's following after the Frodo and the, and the group, you know, as they are taking the ring to throw it into the lake of fire. And it's a picture of what idolatry does to us. It makes us, it, it takes us from being human to these weird looking creatures who are running around hairless with our, you know, it's changing everything about us. That's what idolatry does, but not Jesus. He makes us new. He gives us life. And so, how is it that we, that what does this treasure bring? So we, we, we talk about what is it, how do we get it? It's by repentance and faith. And then what does it bring? Well, it brings joy. Verse 44, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. It's interesting, even before he had the treasure, he had joy. Just knowing where it was brought him life. That's what the gospel does to us. When we get a hold of the good news of Jesus being on the throne, his kingdom, saving us sinners, what he did on the cross for us, it brings joy and hope and life. And it motivates us to serve and to follow God. Over the Christmas time, I was watching, uh, this is last year, the Christmas carol. It seems like it's on every year, right? If you just scroll around, you'll see the Christmas carol, Dickens' story. And one year, it was the old black and white one. I don't know if you've ever seen the old one. I think it was done in the 30s. But you'll see some really strong gospel messages in that old one. In fact, when he is on his bed, he is actually um, uh, really, I believe, becoming a Christian. But you know the story. The, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future visits him. And then when he finally understands the judgment 
that he will be under and, and then wakes up from that, realizing that, oh, today is the day of salvation. I can believe he is a changed man. He's jumping around. He's dancing with the maid. He's like saying, I'm as light as a, a, a schoolboy. And then what does he do? He goes out and he buys the big Christmas dinner for Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. And his whole life has changed and he has joy because he's found the true treasure. He's found that he is not forsaken, that he is a believer. And this is what the gospel does to us. It changes us and it makes us people of joy. But how do we really find that joy? Because as we think of this parable, sometimes we can, we can set it in a way where, man, it sounds like all we're doing is searching. All we're doing is we have to find. But actually, you know who the true treasure hunter is? It's the Lord Jesus. The kids, the kids sermon. The Lord Jesus is the one who leaves all the riches of heaven being in, in, with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He empties himself he puts on flesh. He lives in poverty. He comes and he loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he is beaten and bruised and ultimately hung on a tree to save us his most treasured possession. The one who had it all, the richest man of them all, God's son, leaves it all in order to find us. This is what gives us joy. This is really a picture of the gospel. In fact, if you look through really a big swath of the Bible, you see this picture of God valuing his people and coming after them. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.9, here's what Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's telling this to the church, to us, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A people for his own possession. Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. This is how Yahweh looked at the people of Israel and how he looks at us. Psalm 135, 4, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, for his special treasure. In the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about the good shepherd and how a good shepherd is the one who leaves the 99, right? And he goes on a search to find that lost sheep, right? And he rejoices over it more than the 99 because he has it. In John 10, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the Lord Jesus is the one who leaves all the riches of heaven, sells it all, sacrifices it all to buy you back. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you understand that you are the Lord's treasured possession, that he left it all for you. That warms the heart. Dwell on that. Meditate on that today, this week, every day, because that's what gives you joy. That's what says, oh, although I am a sinner and I am lost and I am dead, Jesus has rescued me. He's brought me out of that, uh, 
those addictions, what I was going through, my, my depression. He's the one who has given me new life and joy. And when you go back into them things, guess what? He is never going to let you go. He's going to go back and bring you out to repentance and faith again. You're secure in his hand. That gives you joy. It's not about you finding. It's about he found you first. And then you go out and find him. And you, that fellowship with him is what encourages you day and day and day by day. In Fen Forest, the last two stanzas of his little riddle, you might want to write this down in case you want to go looking. But he says, so why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know. I've done it, tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. For, for Fen Forest, it was all about the search, all about your effort finding. But in the gospel, the Lord Jesus is that one who has found you and he has gone after you. That is the motive to love and serve and to believe in him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are the great treasure hunter who found us your treasured possession. Even though we were dead in our sins and lost, you have given us new life, a new heart, the ability to follow and to believe and to repent and to be filled with your joy. I pray that for my friends here today as we go out, that we would know you, that most valuable treasure, the Lord Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.